Good morning, church. So last weekend, my awesome wife and our oldest daughter had a mom-daughter weekend. And so my youngest daughter and I made plans to go camping together. We packed the car on Saturday together. And so after church on Sunday, as soon as we got done welcoming guests in our welcome center, we jumped in the car, we drove to the house, we took our dog, Aggie, to facilitate, do her deal. And I changed clothes and we jumped in and we drove. We went to Dinosaur Valley State Park. Some of you have gone to Glen Rose in that area. We pull in the park right before three o'clock and the guide there, park ranger, said, hey, there's going to be a ranger talk at 3.30. And so Ellie was like, dad, we can get camp set up and get over there. So we drove over to the campsite and I mean, we were booking it to get the tent set up and our, our, our beds ready to go. And then we jumped in the car, drove over right as the park ranger was starting his talk and showing us the dinosaur footprints that are there, which was fun. About 45 minutes through that talk, he pointed to another site that was kind of down the creek for other footprints. So Ellie gets up and we go that direction. He was still talking, but we were looking for the other site. And then we found a trail that was leading up to an overlook. So we went down the trail and my incredible daughter like ran most of the mile and a half trail all the way up, come down, go to campsite, put up the hammock, we read, get around the fire, like right campfire night. Like it was like Father Mecca, like just, uh, wait, Mecca's like another religion, like, uh, <laughs> like the, the ultimate dad day for me. I mean, I was loving it. Just like, I mean, it was like, yeah, all the, the dad endorphins. It was just awesome. Had it so much fun. Wake up Monday morning and Ellie is right there beside me in the tent. She was still sleeping and I pull out my phone because Mondays usually is my sermon prep day. Like I, I usually have that day devoted to that. It was MLK day this last week and so our church offices were closed. I opened the text where we're going to be. We're going to be in Mark 3. If you want to start finding it, you can. Went to Mark 3 and I start reading in Mark 3 how Jesus says that there's something that's closer and better than biological family. Now, I don't know where you are. Maybe you hear the story of it is well with my soul and that's your story. Maybe there has been major tragedy in your biological family. Maybe for you, you have a wayward child that is going the other direction. And really, if you were to be honest in your life, your, your greatest goal and desire is for your child to come back to you. Now, maybe for you, uh, you're a teen, you're growing up, or a young single, and you're just looking forward to that significant other showing up, right? And the, the bells playing in life, like, dun, 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 whatever. Or maybe, maybe for you, you're like me, and most days don't actually turn out the way they did last Sunday, and Family is not ideal and you recognize you've got issues, but still you on a lot of levels idolize your family and you go to your family for satisfaction and joy. And that's not bad. The Bible talks a lot about the nuclear family. It's a good thing. Jesus was single, so was Paul. Single is also not a bad thing. 
But there's something, there's something that is deeper than even the biological family. Now, I think it's really important we stop here. We're going through the book of Mark, and as we go through the book of Mark, if you're reading with us, so many in the church are actually reading through the book of Mark. You can go to firstmckinney.com forward slash Bible if you want to do that. As we're going through the book of Mark, we're seeing right now that Jesus is healing and he's casting out demons. It's like his public phase and there's this big crowd that is coming around him because he's healing and casting out demons. And we've seen the last few weeks that Jesus invites people to follow him. And when he said, follow me, he also said, I will make you what? Fishers of men. From the beginning, Jesus was through his disciples, planning to make more disciples. He wanted to multiply people through his disciples' lives. And we we asked last week, well, who was he actually inviting to follow him? So we looked at the story of him inviting a tax collector who would have been way on the outside, someone the world would have seen as a major sinner at that time. Like he was serving the the corrupt Roman government. He was been uh, probably an extortionist, keeping money for himself. Like, and Jesus goes to him and he invites people in and they have a trouble that he eats with this guy. He, He brings them into his inner circle, Matthew, Levi, And then Jesus said, he said, the sick don't have need, I mean the well have no need for a physician, the sick do, right? I've come not to call the righteous, but the sinner. Y'all remember that? That's where we were last week. So then that begs the question, that begs the question, are those that are closest to Jesus, those we're going to see this morning that are in the family of God, a lot of this language in the Bible, God the Father, the children of God. Those that are invited into this intimate family, are are they the ones that continue to live rebelliously? I mean, Jesus said he came for the sick. Not just the physically sick, the spiritually sick. Which means that it doesn't matter what you've done, like you get invited in. This is where we were last week. So does that mean, and and, and actually a a lot of people end up, you'll, you'll go to some churches that will say, well, how do you, the ones closest to God are the rebels? What? Chapter three, Jesus has now called, and this is what happens right before when we start reading. Jesus has now called his inner 12, his apostles. He selected the, the 12. One of them was Levi, this tax collector. And Jesus is, family, his biological family is going to show up on the scene. If you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn there. Some of you have already gone there. If you're new to the Bible, the chapters are the big numbers. The verses are the small numbers. Chapter 3, we're going to start reading in verse 20. And I want to invite you to stand. Stand with me. To honor God's word. After calling his disciples, verse 20, then he, Jesus, went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And it was a family heard it. They went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of the demons, he casts out the demons. 
And he called them to him and he said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then, indeed, he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemes they utter. Verse 29, one of the most controversial verses in our New Testament. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. I'm gonna invite you to your knees if you're able. If that's not comfortable, you can get on your seat and just sit down. Let's when we talk biological family I don't know where that is for you I wanted to just confess to God if there's, if there's bitterness for you related to the pain in your family if there's, there's something that's going on that you're reaching out for you're longing for to change just be open with God right now communicate with him your deepest feelings around your family for just a second And now ask him to use this time. Ask him to help me teach God's word. Ask the spirit to help me exalt the son. God, I pray that this would be helpful for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. As we start today, I mentioned that we're going to have a really controversial verse in this passage. We want to remind you, we've started doing it again, begin this year, that we are inviting you. Oh, I realize I've missed some pictures. That's me camping with my awesome daughter. Here we go. Uh, we invite you, if you want to ask questions as we walk through Mark, you can text the word question to 96123. Again, the word question to 96123 and we will interact with it. I had a, one of our teens approach me this week and said, can I meet with you? I said, yes, and they were asking me about one of the verses that will be in our text today. So we invite you to do that. You can listen as we respond to the questions of our church by going to the podcasts and most podcast channels. You can find it, but it's uh, not channels, whatever. Streams, yeah, First McKinney, Q&A, A Deeper Dive. All right, so... The way you ask the question, question to 96, 
1, 2, 3. Let's walk through the text. Verse 20, then Jesus went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. This would have been a really bad playoff game party, right? They could not even eat. This is the public phase, Jesus' ministry. He's healing, he's casting out demons. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. This word seize literally most of the time was used for arresting a criminal. For they, referring to his family, were saying he is what? Out of his mind. John chapter 7 tells us that Jesus' brothers did not believe he was the son of God until after he died and rose again. I don't know if you have siblings, you probably don't think they're the son of God either. They show up, they try to arrest Jesus, and they say he's a lunatic. He's out of his mind. What's going on? You cannot study the New Testament, and there's so many people in the world right now that are spiritual, that want to say Jesus was a good teacher. You cannot study the New Testament and say all Jesus was was a good teacher. C.S. Lewis made this argument famous, his liar, lunatic, Lord, his family is showing up on the scene as he is teaching, healing, casting out demons, saying he's a lunatic. Here's what he says, C.S. Lewis, quote, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the real foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level of a man who was saying he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, which, by the way, Mark loves sandwiches in his story. He starts with the biological family. He's going to move now to Jesus' academic family and come back to biological family. Jesus' academic family is going to be accusing him of being a demon, Satan. He says, you can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not let that, left that open to us. He did not intend to. Wow. Jesus' family thinks he's a lunatic. And they try to seize him. I think just his brothers, you'll see in the context later, his mom shows up. 22. And the scribes, this is now his, not biological, but this is now his academic family studying the same Bible that he studies. His scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub and by the prince of demons. He casts out 
the demons. And he called them to him and he said to them in parables, this is now Jesus, the one who think he's casting out demons by being a demon or maybe even Satan, the prince of demons. He says, how can Satan cast out Satan? Now he's gonna use a parable Next week, we're gonna spend time on the first most significant parable uh, in the book of Mark. Parable is a narrative analogy that teaches a kingdom reality. He's a great teacher. He's gonna use this illustration, several of them. He says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. You, you don't want to have one army fighting another army because that, that's not gonna work. Your kingdom is gonna fall, right? Satan wouldn't do that. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand, which I think he's still actually pointing to kingdom because Herod's house was having major issues at that point in time. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can either enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. So his now academic family has said, well, we think he is either a demon or the prince of demons. And, and Jesus, that wouldn't make sense. That if the, the, the enemy is smarter than that. He's not gonna fight against himself. Uh, maybe you don't follow his illustrations. I'll try to use another little parable here for you. You know, there is gonna be a game this afternoon. Yes. So uh, this, this is a picture of the NFL.com's experts picking who's gonna win the game this afternoon. Uh, I, I uh, went in a text thread with my family, sent this actually to my family, and my brother texted back, and he said, is your nickname Ed? Y'all notice, our family's been Cowboy fans for a long time. Notice, by the way, that this is the number one picking expert in the crowd here. Clearly, he knows the best, right? If you're a San Francisco fan, it's okay. God will forgive you eternally for that. We'll read about that in a second. <laughs> Here's what's not gonna happen this afternoon. Here's what's not gonna happen. The Cowboys offense, when it's not on the field, if, if a player gets injured on Philadelphia's defense, the Cowboys are not gonna say, hey, well, you can just use our guy and they'll put him in and to try to, to fight against the offense. Like that would not, right? They're on the same team. They don't fight against each other. That, that Jesus is saying, hey, it wouldn't make sense for me to be doing this by the devil's power. He's not gonna fight against himself and cast, y'all understand what I'm saying, okay? So what does Jesus say? Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven. This is an incredible, incredible statement. All sins will be forgiven, the children of man. And whatever blasphemes they utter, praise God. It doesn't matter how bad your past is, guess what, I've got good news. Jesus is bigger and better than your sin. All sins will be forgiven, the children of man. And whatever blasphemes, what is blasphemes? That's kind of an interesting word. We need to know what it means because the next verse is significant. Blaspheme or blasphemy is when you are blatantly disrespecting or responding in defiant hostility to something else. Whoever blasphemes, they utter. If you, if, if you ever, you've been a rebel in your life, right? Then Jesus makes this statement, verse 29. But whoever blasphemes, defiant hostility, blatant disrespect against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal 
sin. What? Did you hear what Jesus said? That there's something that will not be forgiven. Y'all see that? So this again, why it's controversial is people think, well, everything is forgivable, right? Yes, that's the Bible, the verse just before it, he said that. So what, what is he saying here? Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. Here's what I believe the unforgivable sin is. I don't pretend to know everything, by the way. I don't pretend to be the perfect interpreter. That's the Holy Spirit of God. But here's what I understand this to mean and also what most conservative Christian commentary writers would say something around this line. When someone recognizes the work of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and then continues, and I'll come back to that word here in just a second, then continues to respond with blatant disrespect and defiant hostility, that person will not be forgiven. When someone recognizes the work of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll see that's happening in this text, and then continues, now here's what I want you to see, it's, it's emphasized in this text at the beginning of what they were saying and at the end, for they were, this is a continual, not at one point in their life said, no, they were continuing to say, he has an unclean spirit. They were seeing the work of God displayed through Jesus' life and saying, no, I'm gonna respond in defiant hostility and blatant disrespect to that. Y'all understand what's happening here? Again, I'm gonna try to use an illustration that is like way, way low level that is talking about something very serious. If you ever watch ESPN, you know that there is a person on ESPN who anytime the Cowboys are talked about responds with defiant hostility and blatant disrespect, okay? His name is Stephen A. Smith. Now, Stephen A. Smith, I think, is doing this kind of fun jokingly. But it doesn't matter how good the Cowboys are playing, he says they're terrible, and every fan that they follows him is terrible. And, and that it, it doesn't, he's not gonna change the narrative, that's just, that's his deal. He hates the Cowboys, okay? And that's kind of funny. But let me move it to something that's very serious. There are people that continue and will continue to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus' life that way. That they will say with defiant hostility and blatant disrespect, no. And those people are rejecting the Son of God. They will not be forgiven. Y'all with me? So why would Jesus even bring this up? Well, he didn't really bring it up, but he's using it, I think Luke is using it to help us see something he's gonna say. Verse 31, and his mother, here's the other side of the sandwich, now his biological family is back. His mother, which I believe, if you look at the story of the Gospels, was not one that did not believe who Jesus was, like his first miracle. He had never performed a public miracle and Jesus uh, is in the wedding, right? And she says, hey, whatever he says, do it. She had had the conversation with the angel. She had the immaculate conception and birth. Like, okay, she knows something's going on here. She's at the cross when Jesus was crucified. We don't read of his brothers. In fact, he had to get John to help take care of his mother. Y'all remember that? Okay, his mom, 
shows up. By the way, I don't want to overemphasize his mom. John had to take care of his mom. There are some people that grew up in churches teaching you the other way around, that, that the mom was the one that takes care of everything and that she's actually, she was not supernatural. Does that make sense? She was conceived supernaturally. Moms are awesome. I should also say that. Mother... <laughs> And his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him, and they called him. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Okay? Jesus, he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? Now, did Jesus value family? Absolutely he did. But Jesus is wanting to make a point about a family that's closer to him than even his biological family. Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, what? Here are my mother and my brothers. The ones sitting around him, that would have been the place for the disciple. Those that are ready to say, look, I'm following you, Jesus, and I'm fishing for men in response to you, Jesus. Those sitting in that position, he said, here is my mother and my brothers. Verse 35, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. That there is, there is a relationship that you can be invited into, doesn't matter how messed up your family is, with a perfect heavenly father right now, or he even places himself in position as your sibling right now that you can be invited into that is greater than the biological family. He said, well, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Which notice there's, looks like there may end up being more females in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know, sister and mother, only one brother. And I'm just saying, all right. So this, this phrase here I want to talk about for just a second because I want to invite you into something that is beautiful, but I also don't want you to misunderstand what this is saying. Whoever does the will of God. Okay, so if you were to summarize what he is saying, describe someone in his family, he says someone in my family is doing the will of God, right? Y'all see that? It's in the text, right? Here's what I, I, want, I want to wrestle with you around what does Jesus teach as we land the plane here and invite you because it's, it's mind it's super exciting. Okay. You know the Bible talks a whole lot about this, faith, right? The Bible also talks a whole lot about this, works, Right? How do they go together? You know that Jesus taught, it's the first long sermon we have for him in the New Testament, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus himself taught, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who what? Does the will of my Father. What does that mean? James, Jesus' brother, who after Jesus died on the cross and rose again, James realized, oh, he's God. 
And so then James became like the ruler of, like, not ruler, that's the wrong word, Jesus is the ruler, like the guy that was in charge of the church in Jerusalem. And he, he writes a letter in our Bible and James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, what, deceiving yourself. You remember this? He says, faith without works is what? Dead. Okay, so here's how some interpret this. I'm gonna use just now the first, faith, some interpret it. Maybe you grew up hearing this, faith, plus works, I'm gonna use the word S for salvation, gets you into God's family. Some people have been taught this, that you need to believe Jesus died for you and you need to do really good things in order to be in his family. And it looks kinda like that's what this is saying here, okay? But this is not what the New Testament teaches in full. Faith plus works is salvation. This is actually religion that we need to be part of getting ourselves to God, that's not what the Bible teaches. So what does the Bible teach? Faith, uh, here, uh, if, here's one of the places, Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So faith saves you. For, for grace you must save through faith is not of yourself, it's a gift from God, not of works lest any man should boast, but it continues on, doesn't it? We are his workmanship now created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. What does that mean? Well, another one of Jesus' teachings, okay, some people want the works to become like the root of how we get saved. No, Jesus says you're gonna know a tree by what? The fruit, all right? The, the fruit. Works are what Jesus, yeah, the way you know that you're in the family is you're obeying God, not you obey God and then you get into the family. Okay, again, back to what we saw last week. The ones who were invited into the family were the outcasts, right? And then he talks to those who are in the family and he says, guess what, those who are the rebels, the, the ones that were running the opposite direction, uh, yes, Chapter two, we invited them in, but guess what those who are in, guess what those who are in are doing? Those who are in, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Obedience, obedience is something we get to do, not that we've got to do, but it is, and I say this, it is not optional, it is, in, does that mean you're not, say, no, this is what it means to be part of the family of God. So, what does this mean? Okay, this word, whoever, 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 I think some look at it as an invitation in, hey, guess what, whoever wants to do this, if you want to do that, you can be in the family, whoever. But it, it's not an invitation to, it's how you know who. That was what Jesus was answering. Who is my mother? This is how we know who. Whoever does the will of God. If you're not obeying God, Paul at one point says, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. But what do, why would we obey God? Okay, I want to take you back to this picture. Uh, I had so much fun with my daughter. I had so much fun with my daughter. Uh, what was fun for me looking at this, even after reading about this text, thinking about, okay, God, I had just been in the tent with y'all, also reading through the book of Mark and doing this in response to my reading. And some of you in the church are doing this with us. You can go to firstmckinney.com forward slash Bible. 
firstmckinney.com forward slash Bible invites you into a Bible study journaling where you're, as you're going through it, you're listening to what the Spirit is saying to you. As the Spirit speaks to you, you're allowing Him to make stuff jump off the page and highlight and then picking some of that and saying, God, I want to listen to what you're saying to me. Why? Because He's your loving Father. You want to crawl into His lap. He's given His life so that you can be with Him. And and then, but we don't stop there, right? As we, how do you know who's in the family of God? You do, you do the will of God. So how do you want me to obey today in response to what you're speaking into my life? And this changes us from the inside out. Does it earn us our way into heaven? No. There's a real king and a real kingdom. His name is Jesus. He's the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. And in his love and by his grace, right? He came and he lived a perfect life. He obeyed perfectly. We're not going to. He did. He obeyed it perfectly for us. He died in our place for our sin. He rose again. If you repent, believe, and follow him, you can be saved by grace through faith in Christ. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, if you believe the Spirit of God moves into your life, had someone tell me after the first hour, it's like I've got a bucket, right? This Holy Spirit pours into that bucket obedience, and it sloshes out. Do I do it perfectly? No, but there is joy there. It's what happens when you're in your Father's lap. As you live in the family of God, you learn to do the will of God. And church, he wants to do it through you. He wants to do it through you. Last weekend, you heard Rob mention this earlier, we have, I had a called conference with our students. And Grant invited me to come teach at the called conference. And I said, cool, what do you want me to talk on? He said, well, you're gonna be talking in the Dallas Cowboys locker room. I'm like, really? That's awesome. Here's a picture of the students and some of the leaders that were with us. There was uh, the students from all over the, uh, the well, I, I, more I think than in, not just our state, but most from our state. In the locker room, uh, and I asked, hey, what do you want me to tell the students? And he said, hey, these are, these are students that realize, that realize that God wants them to obey. Like, that he wants them to, he wants to work through their life. He said, I, I want you to challenge them to not stay in the locker room, but to get out on the field, to play with their teammates, their family, on the field for God. And it was so fun for me to stand in the locker room, right? And to talk with the students, hey, I know that you're not perfect and you're gonna mess it up, but get in the game. That, that we have a, a faith family, a spiritual team that wants to attack the enemy. Why did he put it right after this conflict with the, the religious leaders that were saying, hey, you're a demon? He's like, no, it's the opposite. I'm fighting for the good team. And you know what? I've got a family that's fighting with me against him. And he wants to do that in and through you. If you're here in the room today and you have students or children, you need to know that today we've started letting your students and children know about something we're gonna talk about as a church over the next month. And we believe that God has us at a crossroads moment in our church. And he wants to, like he did through his original disciples, he wants to, through us, make disciples of all nations. He wants to multiply. He wants us to follow him as we fish for men. And we're gonna talk with you about what that is. And I'm praying that we as a church can be the crowd that Jesus was looking out on that day. And to say, hey, hey, you wanna know who my mother and brothers are? They are. They are, why? 
Why? Because we know the joy, the love relationship that he has with us and we're stepping in to obey. And before I pray over you, out the door to my right, your left, is our welcome center. I'm not going camping today so I can stay there for a while, I'm just saying. If you're a guest, I would love to talk with you. But if you're here in the room and maybe for you, you're, all of your life you've thought, man, I gotta work in order to get into heaven. And you're hearing, no, Jesus died on the cross for me so he can do good works through me for his glory. We wanna invite you and there's nothing more exciting for us than to have that conversation. If you're online or if you're in our overflow, we want to, overflow can come over there. <laughs> but you can also text the word talk to 96123. Again, the word talk to 96123. But maybe, maybe for you, maybe for you, you, you at one point in your life said, yes, I believe Jesus. But, but you're not living in obedience. And you know that. If, if someone were to ask Hey, how, how do I know that you're a Christian? Looking at your life, they wouldn't be able to say you're in the family of God. And you wanna talk with someone, have someone to pray over you to help you understand next steps in obedience. Please don't leave here today without us getting to pray over you because we believe, we believe much. The team that's playing this after, I used to want to be the Cowboys quarterback. And I kind of still do, for the record. But when I step back and I look at what God has called us to, right? We, we get to go out on the field right now as you leave and do the will of God as part of his family. That's what we get to do today. Stand with me, let me pray. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go love your neighbor.